0: Luke 14, 25. Now, my paragraph heading says something like this, Discipleship Tested. Yours might say something like that. By the way, just so you know, those paragraph headings are not inspired. Those are by editors somewhere that have tried to give you an idea of what's in that paragraph. Sometimes they're on target and sometimes they're not. Okay. It is the topic of discipleship. Jesus, with, now with large crowds going along with him, he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yet, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, if he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost and see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has finished the foundation and is not able to finish, all will observe and begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish." Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with ten thousand men to encounter one coming out against him with twenty thousand, or else, while the other is still on the on the way, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace? So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up his own possessions. Amen and amen. The title I've given the message this morning is All In. Uh, I want to tell a story that is a has become a family fave, okay? It's a family favorite. And it took place the day that our son Holden graduated from IU in Bloomington. Um, <clears throat> we had decided... Uh, that we were going to go down and try to help our son celebrate. He had decided it was far too practical to – impractical, I should say, to buy a gown and to go through all the headache of going through this massive graduation ceremony in the huge stadium that, you know, nobody's going to know who he is. I'm not doing it. And we said, you know what, we need to celebrate this, and we want to celebrate it well. So as many of the kids that we can pile into our van we're going to go – and we'll take you to lunch, and we're going to celebrate with you your graduation. So, uh, even though he isn't going to, you know, be walking in the ceremony, we we went. We had a unique gift that was made for him out of uh, it was a really cool little gift. It was made out of a page from a large dictionary, and and printed on it on this dictionary was you know was something that we said of celebrating him and the sample gates of IU, and we thought he'd be really impressed. I think he still likes it, but. We thought, you know, I thought, I thought it was super cool. So uh, we decided, okay, we're going to take him to lunch, and he could choose where he wanted to go to lunch. So um, we gave him the gift. We decided, hey, we'd like to take some pictures. Thankfully, one of his roommates had <clears throat> purchased a graduation gown, and he was graduating from, I think, from the same school, right? Right. Anyway, the the point, I don't remember if it was or not, but, you know, within university, there's several different schools. So he he put on his friend's gown, and we took a few pictures together. Yay, we celebrated. And so now we're going to go to lunch. This is where the story begins, okay? His choice, of course, Bloomington is amazing as far as dining goes. There are more... uh, international restaurants in that little town then you can shake a stick at because of course it has this massive international population. Holden's choice, taste of India in Bloomington. And man, I was actually you know I was like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? Yeah, that's where I'd like to go. If it's, if it's my choice, that's what I like to do. I'm like, yes. Now the reason I was excited because after having been to India uh, with my son Logan, Uh, I I just need you to know that if you ever go to another country, especially like India, that has, you know, such great food, you're going to develop a fondness for that kind of food. Now, it's very, very hot usually, but good Indian food, it just leaves you, it marks your taste buds, and there's nothing quite like it. So, we're on our way to to the taste of India and, and the promise for Denise was, who doesn't really enjoy spicy food at all, was that it's a buffet, Mom. You know, you can pick and choose. You don't have to eat this, this spicy stuff. And so, you know, there's a large variety. And, again, now, here, let me also note this, that since then we have discovered that Denise indeed is a, quote, super taster. That's really the fact. So uh, whatever she eats, I mean, if it's spicy for me, it's going to be really spicy for her. So uh, we we all get the know, I'm all smiles and I'm encouraging her. It's going to be all right, honey. You don't have to eat anything that's spicy. So we uh, we come into the buffet now. We uh, here we, we open the doors to this restaurant, and it was the, it's this. If you've been to the Taste of India in Bloomington, it's a really cool little. Little restaurant, smaller one, but it's got windows and almost fully covering on two sides, and it's got this really cool sound that's in there. But when you open the doors and step in, the curry hits you. I mean, it just hits you when you walk in the door. And Denise is like, "Oh no!" I said, "It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine." We uh, first, we I said, "Let's sit down over there where you have to sit down on the pillows." We decided that we're not gonna do that. We're actually sit on chairs, so we're all sitting down together now. Uh, if I recall, Denise is like two or three seats down from me to the right. We had several of our kids with us. Holden was somewhere, like, I don't think directly across from me, but one or two down from me. And so we tell the waiters, hey, yep, we're going to hit the buffet. And uh, and as we begin to, you know, I, I'm going through the buffet line. I'm smelling the curry, and I hit some butter chicken. It's like, oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. This is going to be so good. Find old, big old pile of naan bread. Is everybody with, those of you who like Indian, you understand my descriptions right okay so we're 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 going to eat and what happened next i only witnessed through the reaction of my children okay because again denise is out of my eyesight uh, apparently as she began to eat what she had selected immediately she held her mouth her eyes began to fill with tears and and you know her, Everybody's looking at her in utter and complete disbelief because her choice at the buffet, iceberg lettuce. And I'm, I'm not making this up, okay? In a matter of seconds, she's in tears, and my kids are looking at her in disbelief. Some of them are kind of like, come on, mama, you got to be kidding me. And, 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 you know, Holden is that kind of guy. He's like, come on, you can't, you're, you're not serious, and so she takes another bite. Now she just, she's like, I can't. So we're, some are snickering, some are laughing, some are saying, "Mommy, you okay? I'm trying to like, oh, dear, I need to be kind to my wife. Can I take a bite while you're crying and finish my plate lest I not get the opportunity to finish my plate and have to leave with her, you know. So finally, you know, I'm, I'm saying, honey, are, are you going to be okay? She says, I'm fine, I'm fine. I said, well, you know, we'll just get something. Else. She said, I'm fine. I'm just not going to eat. Okay? So she assured me with some sternness that it was okay for me to go ahead and eat. I enjoyed the buffet. I need you to know. Okay. So uh, the the reactions of of, of the kids, though, this is what was it, you know, here's some water. Are you you sure that you're having this reaction? Okay, Mom, maybe you should just take some sugar and throw it in your mouth and take care of it that way. And so the point is, That's where we were. Now, I I honestly was almost in the same camp with my kids, like, "It, it, it can't be that bad, until I began to take note of the clientele in the restaurant. Most of them have darker skin than me. That's okay. Okay, we're noticing. I'm watching. Oh, then I'm also noticing that above the buffet, they had, for those who are used to eating, Spicy food, a little extra spice, a little extra curry, right? So you get your butter chicken, you toss on a little extra. Well, it's very much not an impossible thought to think that somehow that spice had found its way into the buffet so that literally everything on the buffet was touched by the curry. See, I had this idea in my mind. A buffet means some of it's not going to be spicy. The truth be told, in a good Indian buffet, it's all going to be affected. You can't just pick and choose. It's going to be a spicy moment. And if you walk in the door, you better be ready to drink water and plan on your mouth burning for a little while because this place is going to live up to its name, Taste of India. So our kids love to retell this story because they're like, I mean, the first bite, Mama's like. Now, almost always when they retell the story, I have to apologize. Honey, I'm sorry. I told you it was going to be okay. I kind of strong-armed you into going into a place that lived up to its name. So if you eat at a good Indian restaurant, you've you got to be all in no matter what. Pick and choose is not going to be on the menu, even if it's the salad. to really understand the words of Jesus in Luke 14. That's the kind of context that you need. See, Jesus is, Luke 14, verse 1, at the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. He's having a meal. Now, Jesus isn't focused on the food but he's confronting the religious idea of living life, watch this, at the religious buffet. And if you read Luke 14, 15, 16, you hear this consistent confrontation to this religious mindset that says, I'll do this, I'll take a little bit of that, I'll avoid that. See, Matthew records it this way in Matthew 22, Uh, 23, he says, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you tithe mint, you tithe your dill and your cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, but these are the very things that you've done without neglecting the others. See, I love the way the voice translation translates our text for today. In Luke 14, verse 23, or excuse me, 26, you can't be my disciple if you don't carry your own cross as if to your own execution as you follow me, you can't be part of my movement. What's Jesus saying? This isn't a buffet. You don't get to pick and choose. In this kingdom, it's all in. All in. And what does all in mean, Jesus? What do you mean by all in? Well, he kind of answered that question, remember? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second commandment's like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. We're all in. See, following Jesus is all in. It's not a buffet. It's full surrender to a different empire a different king, a different kingdom, a kingdom led in love and surrounded by his justice, his mercy, his faithfulness. And, beloved, that's good news. It actually is really good news. See, a lot of folks have read this text, Luke 14, or referred to it as one of Jesus', quote, hard sayings, if you don't take up your cross. And typically... We, we miss a couple of things. One, we focus on the wrong thing, and then we miss the context. We focus on the wrong idea about the cross, and we miss the context of who Jesus is actually speaking to. He, we miss the context about the cross and what it's about. Let's, we'll talk about that here in a second. And then we miss the context in which Jesus is talking to all of these religious leaders who are wanting to live life at the religious buffet. Let me point first to this idea about the cross. I, I, I was reading what one pastor wrote about this. His name is Tim Chesterton. And he said, I, I think he just said it really well. He said, we've, we've heard this cross language a lot in the Christian tradition. Somebody receives a diagnosis of a terminal illness or a chronic illness, and they say, I guess that this is the cross I have to bear. Anybody ever heard that? Or someone as a difficult relative that they're trying to act lovingly towards. I could fill in the blank, you know, difficult person you have to work with, live with, whatever. And they say, this is the cross. Jesus has laid on me, I guess. We developed a tradition of using cross language for any kind of suffering that we're going through in using The language in this way, we indicate our desire to offer up our suffering to the Lord and to try to be faithful to him in it. And hence, we, we talk about a cross. And I want to be really clear. This is not what Jesus was communicating about a cross. In Jesus' day, let's rewind the tape, first century, cross wasn't just like, you're going to have a difficult neighbor, but take up your cross and follow me. One image comes to mind for a first century Jew who's hearing Jesus talk about a cross. It was the instrument of death that dealt with traitors to the empire, rebels, traitors. Jesus is actually really revolutionary in what he's saying. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to abandon any idea about this empire, any idea about this buffet at all. It's not both and. So there's one thing, okay? Let's be really clear. Jesus' communication about the cross is, Now, let's recall the religious buffet that the Jewish people lived at. See, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom, and it's revolutionary. Why is that? Well, because for a good first century Jew, there were like five main ideas that would ring in their head when they heard about the kingdom of God. They said, you know, here's the five basic requirements of the kingdom of God. Number one... God chose the nation of Israel, therefore God's kingdom is not going to be given to non-Jews, said bluntly. Only Jews are going to be allowed to interact with God, so you had to be a Jew. Number two, recipients of the kingdom would be male only. Some rabbinic teachers even went so far as to say women didn't have the same souls as men. Number three, recipients of the kingdom had to be faithful keepers of the law, holy and ritually pure. They had absolutely no imagination that a tax collector? Are you kidding me? No way. A prostitute? Certainly not. Number four, to enter the kingdom, you'd have to be whole, healthy, if you're Blind? Diseased? Lame? You weren't going to get in. Remember Jesus' disciples talking about this blind man in John 6? He's not going to get in. Number five, the poor. The poor have been abandoned by God. The kingdom was for those who were wealthy. So there you have it. And where is Jesus? Let's locate him so that we get this context right. This isn't Jesus saying, bring your suffering. He's sitting in the house of a religious leader who's among those that believe that the kingdom belongs to ritually holy, healthy, wealthy Jewish men. And Jesus Oh, wait a minute. Remember the things that he began to say? Rewind my tape. Luke 9, Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. What? What kind of revolution are you leading, Jesus? Blessed are the meek. They get the earth. No. The kingdom comes to the strong. The whole. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. And Jesus has been preaching this revolutionary kingdom of inclusion where the poor and the meek and the persecuted are included. And women. What? He's talking to who at the well? A Samaritan woman? His disciples weren't just, like, weird. I mean, that was just the norm. Why would you be talking to a, a woman but also a Samaritan? I mean, two strikes. Jesus, what are you doing? But his entire ministry has been among the least, the forgotten, the last. And then he proclaims that to follow him is to live surrendered to another way of seeing the world. Remember that great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This kingdom will be lived, surrendered to love. To live surrendered to a loving God and loving him and loving your neighbor means to put aside all other entanglements. See, we get lost in that word hate. Whoever wants to follow me doesn't hate his his wife, his father, his mother, his own life. That word hate actually means to put aside or to let go of. It's not some secret hate theology. The same Jesus who said love your enemies is not saying now you get to hate them. Okay? Is there an amen in the room, right? All right. So let go and put aside anything that hinders the highest commandment to be led by the same power that led Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You're all in. I want to, uh, everybody follow where I'm going with that text, right? Luke 14? Okay. Okay. So what I'd like to do for the remainder of of our time, this is a little bit longer reading. I don't typically just read somebody else's material, but this is really, really good. It will be available on the website. I I can get it to you individually if you'd like. But it's called Love Never Ends, a Meditation. It's by Brian Zahn. He's a pastor in Kansas City that I have a great deal of respect for, wrote a book called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, another book called Beauty will save the world. When everything's on fire is his last book. I believe he's communicating and proclaiming a message that is very much in alignment with the true gospel. And here it is. I just This is a short meditation. I said not short. It's a meditation. Love never ends. If you want to close your eyes and listen, if you want to just listen, that's fine. Here we go. Why is there something instead of nothing? The only answer I can imagine is Genesis 1:1. in the beginning, God. But why would God say, let there be light and initiate creation? The only answer I can imagine is God's love. What is light? God's love in the form of photons. What is water? A liquid expression of God's love. What is a mountain? God's love in granite, so much older than human sorrow. What is a tree? God's love growing up from the ground. What is a bull moose? God's love sporting spectacular antlers. What is a whale? Fifty tons of God's love swimming in the ocean. As we learn to see God's creation as goodness flowing from God's own love, we begin to see the sacredness of all things as Dylan and Digestion. Daichoski say, in every grain of sand, all of creation is a gift, a gift flowing from the self-giving love of God. Why is there light in oceans and trees and moose and whales and every grain of sand? Because God is love, love seeking expression through in self-giving creativity. Unless we understand this We'll misunderstand everything and misspend our lives. In our misunderstanding and misspent lives, we harm creation, including our sisters and brothers, all of whom bear the image of God. Love never ends. At the end of all things, there is love. Love abides. Love endures. When the last star burns out, God's love will be there for whatever comes after. In the end, it all adds up to love, so when You're calculating the meaning of life. If it doesn't add up to love, recalculate because you've made a serious mistake. Existence only makes sense when seen through the lens of love. At the beginning of time, there is love. At the bottom of the universe, there is love. In God's ocean of endless love that we live and move and have our being. Admittedly, freedom allows for other things too, from cancer cells to atomic bombs, But at the bottom of the universe is love all the way down. Cancer cells and atomic bombs will not have the final say. Love alone has the the last word. Unless you love, your life will flash by. Thank you, Terrence Malick. Love alone gives meaning to our fleeting four-score sojourn. Why? Because everything else returns to dust. It's love alone that never ends. It's love alone that is greater than the grave. Death severs all, save love. We remain connected to our departed ones by the inseverability of the bond of love. Love remembers. God's love is great enough to remember all and to remember all. If creation is an explosion or rapid expansion of God's love, and I believe it is, New creation or resurrection is the triumph of God's endless love over death. This is the question. Which is endless, love or death? The answer is love. If God is love and if his love never ends and if the meaning of being is love and if Jesus is the supreme incarnation of God's eternal love, then that should tell us something about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is a journey towards perfection in the love of God. It's a journey that will take us a lifetime and perhaps longer, but the trajectory is clear. We're always moving toward the way of love. If what we're doing, praying, teaching, saying, isn't moving us toward love, then it's not the true way of following the love of God who is Jesus Christ. This needs to be said because it's too easily forgotten. Loveless orthodoxy is death. We've all seen those who in the name of Jesus have perfected meanness. The iconic and tragic comic example would be the Westboro Baptist folk, but there are plenty of other less egregious but still tragic examples. The journey of faith always begins as somewhat elitist. I'm saved. But it always moves us toward becoming egalitarian. Peter learns that the Gentiles are accepted by God. Love triggers the divine and the deep, but often repressed instinct that all things belong. All God has created is good. Sin is the corruption the whole, in the fabric of God's goodness. You too belong. You too are accepted. I will make room for you over time. As we are properly formed, love will elicit this kind of language. Love is open. Love is expansive. There is largeness in love. Sin is mean and petty and small. The whole World of hell in C. S. Lewis Great Divorce is no bigger than a grain of sand. If creation comes from the expansion, the explosive expansion of God's love, then I find it significant that we live in an ever-expanding universe. Universe that is not shrinking, not static, it's expanding at the speed of light. God is love, God is light, God's love is expanding at the speed of light. And what is the wrath of God? The love of God wrongly received. Either we go with the grain of love or we suffer the shards of self inflicted harm. And that you did it to yourself by resisting God's love makes it no less a judgment. What about the borders of your love? Are they shrinking, static, expanding? Who are you embracing in love? Fewer people? The same people? More people? I'm not worried about having borders of love that are too broad. Loving too many people will hardly be a crime at the judgment seat of Christ. In my earliest days of following Jesus, I had an air of triumphalism. I am on the winning team. But as I mature, I find triumphalism shrinking and love expanding. Today, I find it easier to love people who are different than me. I've learned to genuinely love people from other religions. And, yes, I still confess Jesus is Lord. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists. I'm thinking of specific people, friends, but will they be saved? That's not my business. My business is to love and to point to Jesus. I do believe that no one who loves the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. Now back to the question about the borders of love. Why would our borders of love shrink and not expand? Only one answer. Fear. As I observe the world politically, socially, economically, religiously, I observe that there are only two forces that move people, fear or love. So when you observe the events that make the news, especially if there's a controversy, ask this simple question. What's at work here? Fear or love? Then ask yourself another question. What's moving me? Fear or love? Finally, make the decision to move with love and refuse to respond to fear. You can afford to make that risky move because God is love and love never ends. Beloved, following Jesus is all in. It's all in. Full surrender. To a different empire, a different king, a different kingdom, a kingdom that is led in love. And beloved, that is good news. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage us this morning, if you would, let's stand together and share this closing prayer together, can we? source of life and blessing, of garden, orchard, field, root us in obedience to you and nourish us by your ever-flowing Spirit, that perceiving only the good we might do, our lives may be fruitful, our labor productive, our service useful in the communion with Jesus and our brother. Amen.